everyone. Welcome to the first episode of In A Click. On today's show, I chat with Frank Beam, an expert in nanotechnology and nanomedicine. He's also the author of Nanomedical Device and Systems Design, Challenges, Possibilities, and Visions, and the founder of the startup company, NanoApps Medical Inc. During our conversation, we delve into nanomedical treatments for various types of cancer and sports-related injuries. We also chat about artificial intelligence, robotics for education, replicating our environment and resources, brain chips, and of course, the ethical and safety-related issues attached to all of these types of technological advancements. Frank is an extraordinary conversationalist, optimist, and overall kind and generous human being. I'm privileged to have had the opportunity to sit down with him, and I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, this is my conversation with Frank Beam on In A Click. Enjoy. Thank you very much, Jamie Lee. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for being here yeah. so early. I'm up at six, so no worries. Oh, okay, this is not <laughs> early for you. <laughs> um, so again, thank you for being here and for sharing your work with me. Right. It's fascinating and innovative, but also a lot to digest. For someone like me who is not particularly well-versed in the nanomedical field, my first question for you is, what is nanomedicine? What does it look like? What can it do? And how do we get it into the human body? I'm also wondering if you could provide some context for our listeners and offer a couple of examples of how nanomedicine is currently being used. Certainly. So uh, starting from the beginning, like nanotechnology is actually the science discipline of uh, manipulating matter at the atomic and molecular levels. So to give you a size, a uh, sense of scale, a nanometer is a billionth of a meter. Uh, Micron is a millionth of a meter. So another way to look at it uh, from our perspective is a human, the width of a human hair is 10,000 nanometers. Okay. So it's very, very small. You could fit about five hydrogen atoms into a nanometer. Okay. So super small. Yes. <laughs> Science is coming to a point where we can actually start manipulating uh, matter at that level. Uh, there was a team at IBM, they actually spelled out the word, the letters IBM in atoms, xenon atoms, using a microscope. The idea about nanotechnology is to uh, control matter at that level, and that gives you the capability of uh, changing all sorts of properties of uh, materials. And this fascinated me as, as per the, its application to medicine because a, uh, a lot of diseases actually start, they emanate from the molecular world in, mm. at the cellular level. So nanomedicine actually gives us the ability to, to get down to that scale and, and change things beneficially at that level as opposed to just giving somebody chemotherapy and killing all kinds of healthy cells and everything else to make somebody better. It's like a you know, carpet bombing exactly. the body. Exactly, oh, it destroys be, you. The beauty, what really fascinated me about nanomedicine is its uh, specificity. Mm -hmm. It is, can get down to, you can actually get to a, a point where you're working on, on individual cells to uh, get rid of cancers and things like that. So if you're using the cancer example, just yeah. to make sure that I have my sure. understanding is clear, the nanomedicine would then be able to target the specific cancer cells and destroy those cells, but then keep the remainder yeah. of the body in the yeah, cells healthy. Yeah, so let me healthy. give you a few examples. Okay. So there, there are these uh, nanomaterials called uh, gold nanoshells. They're uh, what's called a dielectric. There is a like a small silica uh, core surrounded by a uh, thin skin of gold. And these things can range from about five nanometers to about 20 nanometers. 
So what you can do with these is, um, well, I should kind of give a bit of background. There is a, a Dr. Uh, Naomi Hallis at Rice University. Okay. She was the inventor of gold nanoshells. Okay. And actually, they're in uh, phase two of human trials right now with head and neck cancers. Oh, amazing. So they're actually in the real world. Incredible. Yeah. So what happens with these gold nanoshells is you can uh, put um, molecules on them that are targeting agents, like monoclonal antibodies are called. You can customize these to attach to almost anything. So cancer cells have proteins on them that are unique to the cancer cells themselves. So if you can find, it's like a lock and key mechanism. Mm -hmm. So if you can uh, put a monoclonal antibody on the gold nanoshell, it can actually, you can customize it to lock on to a protein on a cancer cell. So it immediate go, immediately goes there and, on, and only there. Okay. So there's an exclusive uh, kind of um, strategy here. So it's not like it's going to lock on to any healthy cells. Good. So once it's there, or you would inject millions of these things into a person, or you could uh, take it orally or put the introduce them into the body with a topical gel. Mm. There's all sorts of ways you can do it, even inhale these things, because they're so small. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So they're working on different things, but uh, right now they're usually doing it with uh, IV drips, stuff like that. And are there any side effects right now that we know of? Yeah, so they're kind of flushed out of the body through the liver okay. uh, or just through the gastrointestinal system where you just pee them out or whatever. Okay. There, there's also, that's very important, that's a good point because yeah. there has to be, you have to make sure that they are not only, uh, you know, very efficient, but mm. they're safe. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I'll get into security later on because that will be a concern down the road with autonomous nanorobots. <laughs> That's a whole other ball. That is a whole other ball. <laughs> we can get into that later if you want yeah. to. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's part of it. Okay. This is just the beginning. Okay. So these nanoparticles, they don't have any brains, obviously. They're just particles. So you would uh, attach these to the cancer cells. So with gold nanoshells, there's a thing called the plasmon resonance. So the electrons on the actual gold start, uh, if you excite them with near-infrared laser light through the skin, mm -hmm. so I should give you a bit of background on that too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Near-infrared laser light can actually pass through the body without any effect, like without any detrimental So no effect. radiation. Yeah, no, no radiation. Okay. Yeah, so they use it all the time. Incredible. And it goes down maybe about five to eight inches into human tissue, no mm. problem. So once these gold nanoshells are attached to a cancer cell, for example, uh, you could irradiate it with near-infrared laser light, it would heat it up, and it would uh, kind of go over the threshold of what a cancer cell can take as far as heat goes and kill it. The scientific term for it is called hyperthermia. So okay. if you have hundreds of these things on one cancer cell, it's toast. Incredible. So you can do that uh, for individual cancer cells. You could do it for uh, metast metastatic cancer cells mm -hmm. that are going through the blood system. You know, you uh, or you could uh, work on a tumor layer by layer, taking mm. the cells off layer by layer. So and there's so all sorts of ways. You would then use the laser directly where the cancer is. Is that how it would work? Yeah, to well, the, la the laser is more like a broadband. It's just like a sheet of uh, uh, light at that le at that frequency, which heats up the uh, its plasmon resonance. It actually excites the electrons on mm. the gold uh, nanoshell, heats it up, kills the uh, cancer cell. Another way of doing it is having a hollow gold nanoshell. So in, inside the gold nanoshell, you actually have a powerful drug. So by virtue of irradiating the gold uh, nanoshell with uh, near-infrared laser light, you deform the, uh, the gold nanoshell and it squirts out the, the drug right there on the spot okay. and nowhere else. 
So that's the beauty of it. It's very specific. Uh, no healthy cells are affected whatsoever. So that's one way. Is, is it in the experimental phase currently? Uh, as I say, it's in it's in experimental phase, but it's also in human trials. They're actually doing head and neck cancers, and they're you know hard to treat uh, cancers like pancreatic cancer. Um, so if it's for the most part terminal, this is another option to try and attack yeah. the cancer. Okay, I see. Yeah, but it's getting it'll get to the phase where it's uh, like uh, just a generic way of treating cancer. And a more effective pit, one. Yeah, if you pit this against uh, chemotherapy, for instance, there's no, there's no, no comparison. Because, you know, your hair is not going to fall out and there's no side effects that they know of so far. Thank goodness. So, obviously, they have to look at the toxicity issues and make sure that it doesn't accumulate somewhere or start uh, doing some uh, crazy stuff in, in cells or mm -hmm. mess around with the DNA or anything. Yeah, like of so. course. Parallel to this is uh, I've actually did uh, some preliminary research on this. It's called, uh, these things are called spions. They're uh, super paramagnetic iron oxide nanoparticles. Okay. That's a mouthful. Yeah, yeah I'm surprised. You, yeah, you did. What time is it? <laughs> <laughs> these are like essentially magnetic nanoparticles. You can do the same thing, only uh, like you can still use the targeting agents like monoclonal antibodies or other uh, molecules to attach to cancer cells. Only this time you use a magnetic field <coughs> to heat them up. Hmm. Our idea was, we're still trying to get funding for this, uh, this uh, project, is to use magnetic uh, nanoparticles to attach to cancer cells, heat them up through hyperthermia, like using an MRI. So instead of just being diagnosed or getting imaged by MRI, you could actually use it as a therapeutic tool to change okay. the position of your hydrogen spins. Hmm. Don't ask me, I'm not a medical physicist. No, no, I actually listened to a podcast about this the other day, and yeah. I was very, very confused as well, but I... Joined the club. So. Yes, yeah. I mean, it, it's intriguing, and it sounds promising, at least. That's, this is where nanomedicine is right now. Currently, okay. Nanoparticle. So either for, uh, they are used for drug delivery or hyperthermia, or they cannot be used for imaging. There are things called quantum dots, or like little semiconductors, only a few nanometers in diameter, and they have different colors. So they can be imaged in different colors uh, due to their sizes, mm. and you can target them for specific places, and you can image cells and organelles within the cells and all that kind of stuff. I imagine this was the impetus for your, I mean, your new company, right? So your team at NOF's Athletics Inc. is developing nanomedical diagnostic and therapeutic platforms specifically tailored to expedite the repair and healing of sports-related injuries. Um, so could you tell me a little bit more about the impetus sure. for developing um, NanoApps Athletics and explain further what this process actually looks like? Sure. So NanoApps uh, Athletics, we just started this company uh, just recently. Uh, this is with UBC and a researcher from Spain and a company in Spain. Okay. And they're all related with uh, sports medicine. Mm -hmm. These are experts in sports medicine. I'm in my first book. I actually wrote a uh, section, uh, or I wrote a chapter on uh, human uh, longevity, uh, rejuvenation, all that kind of stuff. That intrigues me. <laughs> longevity, yes, yeah, the intriguing area by itself. Like you'll. Let me put it this way, in about 20 years, you'll probably be able to pick your age and stay there for 100 years. I think it's going to be 20 years. Uh, I used to say from 10 to 30 years, mm -hmm. but in view of the way AI is really speeding up right. exponentially, like they came up with a quantum computer that did a calculation in, I think it was three hours, that would take IBM's Blue, their supercomputer, like 10,000 years. Wow. So if you have that kind of computing power, 
figuring out how nanomachines would be built and uh, you know actually affect aging should be a walk in the park. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, in view of what I just told you, like okay. AI is just taking off. That's going to be a major uh, fact, facilitating factor. For and in 20 years, it will be accessible to the general public, or in 20 years, it'll be at least the research will be advanced enough to get it off the ground. Yeah, I think it'll take 20 years to develop because in order to make these advanced uh, autonomous nano machine nano robots, will require what's called the molecular manufacturing. Okay. And that itself does not exist yet. So. NanoApps Athletics is, we started this company, I wrote this uh, chapter about um, nanomedicine and rejuvenation and longevity, and in one section I describe a kind of nanomedical strategy for fixing the Achilles tendon. Right. So Achilles tendon injuries, they actually start off with micro tears, and those can kind of cumulatively end up in uh, total rupture. Or, of course, you can just have total ruptures right off the bat. So anyway, I wrote a uh, uh, section on that. So I connected with a Spanish researcher here in Kitsilano. And we started talking. We said, we should get together. He's a biochemist. Okay. So I said, well, let's put our brains together, see if we can come up with something synergistically. Mm -hmm. And we did. So the idea is to integrate nanoparticles into his uh, biochemical strategy. He's using, like, a... Um, you know, platelets and fibrinogen, all these uh, growth factors to kind of speed up healing in the tendons. And uh, it could be even further uh, enhanced with uh, the use of nanoparticles. So that's what we're working on now. Okay. So that's going to be the first stage. Can and you explain to me what a platelet is? A platelet is just a uh, part of the, like when you cut yourself or whatever, platelets are the little molecules that come oh, together okay. with fibrinogen to make a clot. Okay. To clot it all yeah. up. Understand. Yeah, so that's just part of the, and they're always patrolling our bodies, and, but they get activated if there's an injury or something like that. Right, so okay. By other other uh, molecules. Mm, so connecting our natural processes of healing with this. Right. Okay. Yeah, so just enhancing it, but at mm. the same time making sure that these nanoparticles don't go where they're not supposed to be, right? So exactly. that's part of the challenge. Right. But we're just starting on this. And the other idea is to, you know, kind of speed up the healing of uh, these micro tears and also the um, the full rupture, full tendon rupture, mm. in like half the time that is now required. Okay. So now for a total rupture, the recovery time is from four to nine months or even more yeah. till you're back in sport or whatever mm -hmm. in full use. So, and you know, we also want to reduce inflammation, which can be a problem and slow the healing process down. Do you project that this could be something useful in the near future? Yeah, I'd say within, uh, probably take us, I'd say for sure two years, two or three years to get it to a viable prototype stage where we can actually start doing trials. You know, it'd start off obviously with uh, just in vitro things in petri dishes to make sure right. that it all works out cool there. Then mouse models. Do you come up against a lot of backlash for the use of mice, or is that is it so uh, normal in the field? Unfortunately, that no that's that's it? the way. That's the rigor science now. That's just the way they do it now. Okay. I mean, I would advocate obviously for uh, you know using computer models, right. simulations, mm -hmm. to do all that. But it's a matter of how do you accurately get everything that's happening, all the responses in a mouse. How do you translate all that digitally? 
Right. That would be the challenge. I think that's possible too with AI. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Like I, I would love nothing more than for animals not to be used. Exactly. Especially for you know the cosmetics industry with rabbits and stuff. That oh would be my kinda, goodness. That's too bad. You know. I, I do hope that technology can certainly Absolutely. help us protect the environment. And that's what really got me excited about uh, and fascinated me about nanotech and nanomedicine from the get-go is just the possibilities are limitless in all kinds of areas. Mm -hmm. So that would be another one is, you know, eventually negating the use of animals for any mm -hmm. kind of testing because you have a digital analog. Uh, so I'm also really curious about um, your research on the human brain cloud interface. So particularly what its central purpose would be how it will work and what the benefits are, and then what we can, when we can expect this to become a reality for us. Okay, so the uh, impetus for the brain cloud interface, uh, actually that was first uh, touted by um, Ray Kurzweil. He's the actual scientific director, the technical director of Google. Okay. Um, actually one of the Research, one of the co-authors on our paper is she worked with Ray Kurzweil for many, many years mm -hmm. and ran his AI website, assisted him with writing books and stuff like that. But uh, so he said quite a few years ago that someday the human cortex will be connected with the uh, digital cortex in the cloud. Mm -hmm. So, which would kind of exponentially increase our access to all sorts of knowledge, uh, art, uh, virtual reality, things like that. So the way we, uh, we just wrote this paper, uh, we just, it's um, in Frontiers in Neuroscience just got published in that uh, back in March. And uh, so this is a paper I wrote with 11 other co-authors. They're from Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. They're all like neuroscientists, mm -hmm. Duke University and so on and so forth. But uh, we kind of, the first um, application will be to uh, eradicate obviously all sorts of cognitive issues, cognitive diseases, like there's about 400 of them, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, all that stuff. So the idea again is instead of flooding the brain with all sorts of crazy drugs that who knows what the side effects right. are, the idea is to be, be very specific, find out exactly what's causing this, where are these tangles that are mm -hmm. screwing up uh, or messing up the cellular machinery, get rid of those, all at the very, at that, you know, the molecular level. So that would be the first application. That could be incredible. And that would be the first, uh, first kick at the can. Really. Okay. That would be the first application. Wow. Um, but again, we're talking about autonomous nanorobots, which would still, well, we're talking 20 years down the road for sure. So can you explain that to me a bit further? The autonomous? Yes. What these things would do, there'd be maybe 10,000 of these things working in unison and they would uh, actually map your whole vascular system from top to bottom down to the capillary level. So you'd inject these or you'd inhale them okay. or you'd, again, Ingest a topical okay. patch or whatever. Many ways of, in it's called ingress, that's how you get them in the body. Okay. But they would be smart. Like these would be have quantum computers in them, so they'd be totally autonomous. It'd only be like about one micron yeah. in diameter, so okay. that's only a thousand nanometers in diameter. Okay. But they'd have their own propulsion system. They'd have communication yeah. system. They would uh, be able to harvest energy from the body through glucose and all that kind of stuff. They and they would be in communications with the uh, outside world through supercomputers or quantum computers okay. outside the body which would be controlled by the physician or the surgeon. So it's not like they're just in there roving. Yeah. So they're still under control. So if we think of the 
There's a uh, surgical robot called Da Vinci. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't, no. Okay, so Da Vinci is a huge, well, it's not huge, but it's a room-sized um, robot with many, many arms attached to it. And it actually has been used for quite a few years now for surgical procedures. Mm. But the surgeon is actually on the other side of the room with a joystick. Okay. So the patient is on the table and okay. uh, Da Vinci is over just shrouding the patient and all these little incisions go in there, the scalpel, blah, blah, the whole works. So the doctor is controlling the robot, the robot yeah, is the doing ro the work. Yeah, the doctor is across the room, or the surgeon, and he's looking into a screen, a very high resolution screen. He's got a joystick and he's actually doing the surgery, but it's like translating through the robot. Wow. Yeah, in very high resolution. So if you take that a step further, so if you take the Da Vinci robot and shrink that down a million times, that's what these autonomous nano robots would be. Incredible. Yeah. Okay. And you'd have like you could have up to billions of them in your body working on your individual cells. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that's pretty fascinating stuff. Very fascinating. So for the brain cloud interface, so you'd be able to go in these uh, nanobots would be so uh, pre-programmed. You already have a high resolution map of one's brain and where all the cells are, where all the neurons mm -hmm. are, where all the synapses are at that given point. But they would go there and uh, kind of latch on to each neuron in your brain, each synaps uh, synaptal cleft. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where the kind of neurotransmitters go back and forth and transmit signals from neuron to neuron. Okay. So they'd be sitting there monitoring that and uh, then you'd have other uh, capabilities of nanobots that would actually burn things off. Say there's some uh, mm -hmm. uh, tangles in there that you don't want in there, some proteinaceous tangles, like um, what they call that amyloid plaque, that material. Okay. You'd start taking that away or dissolving it or whatever. There'd be different ways of doing that. But that's just all the clinical aspect. Mm -hmm. uh, with brain cloud interface, you're talking about another aspect altogether, which is human augmentation, which is a whole other scenario, right? Okay. It's different if you're fixing somebody, you're making them well, making them healthy, and then it's a different thing again where you're actually enhancing their cognitive abilities, like making them smarter. So there's all Sign sorts of up. ethical. <laughs> yeah, well, me too. Yeah. <laughs> The idea is, okay, there's a bunch of ethical, moral issues right there. Right. Like, we got to make sure that everybody has same access to this. It's not just for the zero, zero, for the elite. zero, one percent. Right. Absolutely. So that's another impetus for me writing these books is to make sure that is how it actually unfolds. How, how could you ensure that that actually unfolds? Well, just by a lot of people don't even know about this right. kind of thing yet. So is I'm uh, these three new books I'm working on, one of which is about the brain cloud interface. Um, I have about 25 contributing authors so far. So these are experts in their field. So it's kind of like we're giving people uh, the world a heads up, 10, 10, 20 year heads up. This is the scenario. This is a brain cloud interface. This is how it might work. These are the issues that would be attendant with this. Mm. How can these be uh, made, first of all? How would these be made? Mm -hmm. <laughs> how would they be implemented? How would they be clinically uh, applied? Then how do you deal with it sociologically, personally, um, you know, ethically? Mm. <clears throat> so you're smarter than me. Well, why can't I be as smart as you? 
just because you have more money, you know, that those things will come up for of sure. Or even a different culture <coughs> or some religion won't allow you to be enhanced. And ideas of something. ideas of intelligence are so different as well. Yeah. To to even be able to identify what what knowledge yeah, and then there's emotional is, yeah. intelligence. Exactly. You know, there's that as, yeah, so there's many facets of intelligence itself. There's exactly. There's artistic intelligence. There's, you know, right. people are just naturally engineers and so on and so forth. Exactly. Or musicians or whatever. Could you enhance the knowledge that you already have then? Or would it be one yeah. of those elements where you'd fill in a gap that you don't have? Kind of supercharge your innate abilities. Okay. Like if you had uh, access to the cloud, you'd have, you know, like... The Library of Congress or beyond would be totally accessible to you, and you could download it like within minutes. So we would be Google. Yeah, it's yeah. like, well, like kind of <laughs> like the Matrix, but we won't. Yeah, you know, I don't like the idea of being plugged in. I don't want a big proboscis hanging out of the back of my head. You know what I mean? Oh no, 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 no! Thank you. So these would be totally. You wouldn't even know they were there. They would be so small. It's just like our the cells in our body. We don't even know they're there. Okay. These would be far smaller than that. Right. So it'd be. You wouldn't even know they were there, but they would be actually part in your, of your brain. brain. Okay, and we had chatted about this a little bit beforehand, but my question for you was about safety. So, how do we know that no one can kind of hijack? Right, that's that another chip. reason why we're writing these books. Right. So I, have, I have quite a few sections on all of this. You know, I'm getting some security uh, experts, hopefully, Good. contributing to the books. How is this going to be worked out? Uh, actually. There's this uh, one co-author that just submitted a chapter, and it's all about uh, making this run on the blockchain. Mm. So I'm still kind of trying to get my head around blockchain itself. Mm -hmm. But uh, are you familiar with it? I hear about it often, also struggling to understand it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a huge ledger, like a huge Excel sheet Mm -hmm. that kind of... um, keeps track of and verifies, guarantees transactions between uh, people, like smart contracts. Hmm. So for anything that happens with these nanobots, it would all be totally transparent and unhackable. Like, you know, they have quantum uh, cryptography now, so that's going to even get better with these quantum computers. So the minute you try and interfere with something, it changes. The password so will change. Totally, yeah. Okay. Or just the whole scenario changes. It loses, shifts over somewhere else and you don't have access to it. Okay. So that kind of heavy-duty security is going to be required for sure. So we're going to lay all that out. It's like we're laying the foundation right. of what we think, what we envision could be. Like I'm not saying this will happen, but it, this is one definite possibility because that's where I see a lot of technologies going, leading in that direction. Things are getting smaller and smaller, mm. smarter and smarter. Yeah, so we're, we're already, in a sense, cyborgs already. I mean, where are Absolutely. we without our smartphones? Yeah, like if I lose yeah. my, my phone, I start freaking out. Yeah. So that's like an extension of our brain. So go exponentially forward and, uh, you know, then you have the brain cloud interface. So, but it's going to be, it's not like people are going to be forced to have that done to them. If they want to no, do it, they can do it. It's just like, you know. It would get to the point, though, if everyone around you is becoming more intelligent, then you're, you're at a disadvantage right away if you if you decide yeah, not to yeah there are many there are so many there are myriad issues like for instance there'll be a thing what a uh, what concept i come up with called transparent shadowing so imagine you're a carpenter and you want to teach people how to make a, t- a dovetail joint so you could set up what would amount to a seminar and you could have like a million or more people in your head in your body at full 
resolution, sensorial resolution, and you could actually teach them how to make a dovetail joint gate. Feel the wood, smell the wood, here's the saw, blah, blah, blah. The, so I the sensor, you had the yeah, sensor experience? This person that's giving the course or whatever, he, I call them the host, they wouldn't even know anybody was there. Okay. They'd just be doing their thing and they just assume everybody's there in their brain. But that has useful, uh, beyond the just teaching people, right. it's all the, okay, so what is it like being a street person? What is it like being this person? So you, as far as empathy goes, I think it could really improve our empathy toward other individuals because mm. you could virtually walk in their shoes. Right. So there's all sorts of ethical That's issues and moral issues attached with that. So while you're gone, so to speak, mm. you're in a recliner somewhere and you're like, your physical body is sitting there and you're off somewhere learning how to make a dovetail joint, right? Right. So would you have like stadiums full of people in recliners when they're gone on their vacations or whatever? You could do the same on vacations, whatever. Or you could have avatars. Right. You could inhabit avatars that are somewhere on the planet. But in the future, you might not, might not even have to travel at all. I want, a, tan. No, I want a real be, tan, though. Yeah, but it'll be, <laughs> you probably could get one. Yeah? Yeah, like it'd be full resolution. Wow. So, I mean, with the tan, you would just uh, you program the nanobots to put more pigment in your skin or whatever. Come on. I think the, uh, the, there is no limit to what could happen. Okay. It's, it's just a matter of what, you know, just because we it's can important do to understand it, should we do it? That's exactly. going to be the other question exactly. at the end. Okay, because we can do it, should we do this? Right. The other aspect is, like Elon Musk says, well, eventually, so we're not house cats compared to our AI. Mm. We should meld with our technology if, you want, if we hope to kind of stay abreast with it. Not only stay abreast with it, but possibly also to control it a little bit more yeah. effectively, right? Yeah, so we still have some say. Exactly. Like we have totally autonomous AI that just is doing our own thing. That would be bad. Uh, agreed. It's just like, uh, I think it was Musk that also said, you know, if we're building a road and there's an anthill in the way, mm. we don't hate the ants. Yeah. But they're in the way. So yeah. we just move out of the way. <laughs> that's the way AI would look at us. Like, what are these human? Of course. What are these things with legs and arms? Do Far we more need advanced these? than us. Yeah. I, and, <laughs> and Elon Musk is a bit cautionary. I, oh, yeah. I would argue. And and so, I, but I feel like from from you, you you're an optimist to some extent. You're cautionary as well, but you are an optimist about the possibilities. Absolutely an optimist. Yeah. I mean, I believe in the uh, the deeper human spirit is a positive thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're light beings. Yeah. If you want to get philosophical, that's what I think we are light beings and. Uh, you know, all the other stuff is just static. Mm. And uh, so that is our path forward. And I think nanomedicine gives, kind of gives us a practical way of, uh, of progressing, evolving as a species. Mm. But uh, it's gonna take time. And that's why I wanna get these books out, uh, hopefully in the next couple of years. <laughs> to yes. Kind of people let, let there be heavy duty discussions about this, how these could be regulated, because we can do it, should we do it, yeah. and so on and so forth. It's encouraging to know that all the best brains are working on it right now. Yes. Yeah, yeah a lot of them are. Um, it's just, I mean, nanotech is the way things are going. Mm -hmm. As I say, everything's shrinking and getting smarter. And uh, it's a very exciting time to, live, to be alive, that's for sure. Yeah. I was thinking more about um, uh, how to increase our intelligence through through the human brain and cloud interface, right. and if we could make it accessible to all people, so that oh, there wasn't a, a higher. Plus, the whole thing I've got this thing called global healthcare equivalency. Right. One of the other books I'm writing is about global healthcare mm. equivalency. 
That means like synergies through nanotechnology, nanomedicine, and AI will give rise to a situation where everybody on the planet has the same high quality healthcare, no matter where they live, under what conditions mm. they live. So if you have money or you're totally in poverty, it won't matter. Right. You have the same kind of uh, high quality healthcare because it'll be so cheap to make and it'll be so powerful. Mm. So that's the whole premise of that. So I hope through that that uh, and molecular manufacturing itself will make uh, kind of democratize everything. Right. From uh, you know making your own food in your own house uh, like a replicator, like in Star Trek. Okay. Atom by atom. Wow. Yeah, atom, atomic layer by atomic layer. Yeah. That's molecular manufacturing. So it's like the progeny of today's 3D printers, only super high resolution. You, you can make all your products, your pen, your comb, your toothbrush, your running shoes, your food, your high-quality nanomedicine machines. We would never be fighting over resources. Right. Yeah, Eric Drexler also wrote another book called uh, Some, uh, Abundance, um, Radical Abundance, mm. where he describes all that. Well, it's very hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why not, why not go there? <laughs> you know what I, In view of, you know, plus our environment needs a big cleanup job, and nanotechnology can also ha help in that area, sequestering right. CO2, uh, but environmental remediation. Right. I was, it, to me, this all sounds like just mimicking reality, but mimicking our own natural environment. And so one of my, one of my concerns, if we're mimicking our environment, does that mean that we have to use our environment's resources first? before we can then mimic them? I mean, you know, the resources we would need for molecular manufacturing are like atoms. I mean, what are we but aggregates of atoms put together okay. in a certain way and we actually operate somehow. It's right. just a miracle. I mean, I look at it that way. Like a lot of people, they just look at themselves as themselves, mm. as a bulk unit. Right. But I look at ourselves as trillions of atoms. Well, not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> if I start thinking about it, like, you Drive know, yourself it's a crazy, yeah. we're actually here. Take like, a step back, Frank. Yeah. yeah. No, really. No, like it's no, actually a miracle that we're here. If you I, think about it, like we're all we are is it's trillions of atoms put together in a certain way that operates. Like Absolutely. In a dynamic system. It's crazy. We're so lucky. Yeah. We're so lucky to exist. Yeah. I, I do think about that a lot, but I have to stop myself because I get a little bit overwhelmed. Well, see, yeah. yeah, and a lot of people don't, and they kind of maybe not don't appreciate how lucky we actually are to be here to begin with because the odds against it are phenomenal. Just even on this planet. Of but course. I always, you know, I, I stay grounded as well, obviously. Your intentions are always good, and I really appreciate yeah. that yeah. about everything that you do. Well, you're always you're always very cautious about the safety and ethics and human relations. That's got to be number one. Right. I mean, especially when you're dealing with the human brain, you have to know exactly what's going on and make sure nobody can uh, fool around with it. Uh, I was just even thinking, I mean, this will have to be for next <laughs> time. Like, 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 for military here? use, yeah, this could get really crazy if uh, it got into the wrong hands, right? right. And so uh, it would have to be so protected. Yeah. Um, but we'll save that for our next interview. Yeah, no worries. Oh, <laughs> that yeah, could be really, yeah. All kinds of realms. So um, I'm just going to jump to a, a few listener questions. Sure, sure. Yeah. So the first one is, uh, we've kind of covered this a little bit, but when do you project that nanomedical devices to repair and heal sports-related injuries will be available to the general public? Yeah, I'd say within uh, three to five years. Yeah, because a lot of technology is already here, like the uh, you know the plasma derived growth factors and all that okay. stuff. That stuff is already in clinical use, mm -hmm. already in public use. Okay. The trick is we're doing now is applying nanoparticles to this to kind of enhance the whole uh, process. Mm. So that's going to take obviously some uh, intense investigation. Okay. So, and then as I say, we're going to have to use mouse models, unfortunately, for now, but right. and then human trials. Okay. So, human volunteer trials to begin with for these uh, tended things. 
And once this platform is successful, it could be transferred to, applied to any musculoskeletal condition um, you can think of, like bones, skin, muscles, any injury or condition, even with aging, you know, mm. when, when your muscles start to atrophy, okay. you know. Is this similar to or as effective as um, all of this discourse around stem cells? Yeah, that's part of it. Okay, it is. Yeah, it's rejuvenative uh, medicine. Yeah, you could also uh, be applied to that. So the uh, next listener question is, what are the some, of, some of the greatest challenges that you face as a researcher in the field of nanotechnology? Funding. Yeah. That is the trickiest part. Uh, well, as I say, I've been at this for ni- since 1995. Yeah. We've tried... Every, right. We've tried all sorts of uh, pathways to get there. We've got a little bit of funding here and there, but uh, it's, a lot of these investors have seemed to be reticent, but I'm mm-hmm. hoping to you know, find some uh, folks that are not risk-averse and you know, have to take some kind of risk, especially with something brand new. Mm-hmm. Of course. And uh, you actually need some money to make the prototype. Of course. I mean, if I had it, I'd obviously do it, but, uh, you know. You need that essential money to, or the initial money to get the prototype, uh, functional prototype mm. happening and then build on that. Okay. So they have to, I would say to inv- investors is just, you know, don't be risk averse, but just kind of look further afield mm. where the potential could be phenomenal. The right. returns could be phenomenal. It's tough with funding as well, though, because whoever funds you, I, maybe this is a, a blanket statement, but... If someone funds you, generally speaking, they they would own that work, especially if it's through a university, right? Like every time that you publish, right? The ownership, yeah, it depends on the re- the path. So we'd have to be yeah. careful about that as well. Yeah, it's absolutely. tricky. Yeah, IP and patents and all that. Yeah, stuff. exactly. Absolutely. Okay, so there's yes. a lot to work through. Oh yeah, yeah, but you're optimistic. Yeah, the thing is to get uh, get these technologies out there to uh, help. The human species, that's basically it, you know, and to improve things. I mean, well, look at across the world now, how many people don't even have access to clean water? Or but there are people living in yeah, third so world conditions Yeah, so that would blow our Canada. minds. I've never been to Africa yet, but I'd like to check it out just so I can wake myself up to right. reality. You know, you have to travel 10 miles to get a, get some water for the day, and mm-hmm. that's it. That's your life. Or go to a reserve in Canada where they've been yeah, on a boil water advisory exactly. for years now, exactly. and that's, they have no uh, access to affordable food. Unconscionable. That should be... Um, and that, that this very much connects to the last question, which I know we went through a lot, but what is your vision for the future of nanotechnology and the possible impacts it might have on humanity? Well, you know, the larger vision is obviously global healthcare equivalency, where everybody has the same high-quality healthcare. Nobody gets sick. Mm. Um, you can keep updating your, your uh, cells so that, you know, like there's this substance in that uh, builds up in cells called lipofusion. If mm. you can start getting rid of that stuff, you can rejuvenate the cells, rejuvenate the body. Uh, there's a guy named Dr. Aubrey de Grey, uh, who I've been in touch with for uh, about a decade. But he thinks if we can just, by virtue of getting rid of the garbage in our cells, we could live up to a thousand years. Right. So that's going to be one aspect, global healthcare equivalency. The other one is molecular manufacturing. That's okay. going to change many, many paradigms. So imagine you have like a microwave-sized device in everybody's home. I call it factory at home systems. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to make your food right there, your solar panel, uh, photovoltaic cells, batteries. So most domestic homes will be like self-contained, energy-wise, mm. and that's going to change transportation because you won't need huge, massive movements of goods because you can make them right there exactly. on the spot. So, but there'll still be 
like a lot of people say, well, what are all these, you know, like the big pharma companies, the big manufacturing, big transport, it's all going to change, they're all going to lose their jobs. I say, well, yeah, but they're not going to lose their job. They just have to transition to another way of doing their jobs. It's just like the surgeon with the, uh, the Da Vinci robot, instead of controlling that, He's not going to lose his job. He's going mm. to be controlling billions of nanobots. So pharma companies, they will still be making their profit margin, but they'll be making factory at home systems. They'll be you know, making nanobots and all kinds of stuff like that. Incredible. So it's just a transition, right? It doesn't mean everybody's going to be out on the street that uh, have trained their whole lives to do what they're doing. That's mm -hmm. my take on it anyway, like inclusiveness. Well, there's a big gap in education right now, which I, I think that what you're saying is a possibility if we get more people on board and learning about technology Absolutely. at a young age. That's why I'm doing this. Absolutely. It, and right now, curriculum's not keeping up, and our teacher training's not keeping up, and I think that that's one of the biggest gaps right now that we need to work on is really spreading spreading the word and spreading this information and teaching people how tech how to work with tech now, but how it's going to advance so quickly in the Absolutely. future. And if we're not learning now, then we will be out of jobs. We won't have the knowledge and the information to succeed in this society. Yeah. Actually, I saw this. You I don't know if you uh, might have seen this. There's a teacher in Africa somewhere, Uganda. He just won the prize for the best teacher on the planet. I didn't hear about this. And he gave 80% of his wage to the actual kids so they could eat and come to school <coughs> or to give them pencils. And that's whatever. why he won the award, you know? Well, that's one of yeah, them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's a science teacher. Okay. So I actually emailed this guy and I said, if you ever want to know about nanotech, I'll help you make a simple course to teach your students so they're like, know what's coming. That's incredible. Down the road, like especially over there, because it's going to impact uh, the developing mm -hmm. world more exponentially than, than our world. We're already kind of halfway there with all our techs. Yeah. But uh, for them, you know, having a knowledge of that, they'll probably do a leapfrog mm. of all this nanotech and all that stuff and forget all the other stuff. Exactly. <laughs> we don't need coal. No, we don't need the coal stuff. We don't need the gas. So before you go, Frank, <laughs> sure. I'd like to play a quick game with you. Okay. So oh I read boy. the sentence to you, you fill in the blank. Uh, I like to call it, if you don't know, now you know. <laughs> okay. Are you ready? <laughs> sure. All right. So one thing I'm working on right now that no one would expect me to be working on is... A new song. Yeah, I was a musician for 13 years on the road, so I still write songs. And after my books are done, I want to put out a CD. What's the... Uh, it's kind of like, I was raised with the Beatles. Like, my sister took me to Beautiful. see the Beatles when I was 11. I said, well, that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I tried for 13 years to be a rock star. And... <laughs> now you're a tech star, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my I write acoustic stuff now and some piano stuff, but it's all kind of like melodic, folky, James Taylorish, Beatleish kind of stuff. Beautiful! I can't yeah. wait to hear it. Yeah, that's really cool. Oh yeah, so it's, it's absolutely. <laughs> always learning, always moving and shaking. Yeah, amazing. And yeah. I and I want to get back to my art. I want to do I do art as well. I've been in this PhD program for so long now that there's a part of me that feels like I've lost my creative. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to keep on so that on board. On like that. I like the scientific brain, but like we're all amalgams, right? Like yeah. we have the scientific part, artistic part, yeah. you know, creative part. Yeah, absolutely. But you need to exercise each of them, I think. Every single one of them. Yeah, you, you sure try. Surprising yeah. how yeah, quickly you lose it. So how did I do there? Excellent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Question two. Yeah. If I could collaborate with anyone, dead or alive, it would be. Right now. Mm-hmm. Probably be Rob, Dr. Rob Friedis. He's the guy that uh, I've been in touch with him since 1999. And he is, he's like the godfather of nanomedicine. He wrote the first books on the planet mm. on nanomedicine. I learned so much from him. Okay. 
So he's kind of like my mentor, and he kind of got me going. Also, Eric Drexler, he's the main man for nanotechnology. He kind of uh, popularized it mm. back in 1986 through a book called Engines of Creation. Okay. That's what kind of blew my mind when I read that book. So those two guys. Great. Sorry, it's not one, but... You, you may choose two. <laughs> you have power here. Um, <laughs> this is light. If I had a magic power, it would be, you don't need power, you have tech. Hmm... <laughs> To make people happy all over the planet, that would be uh, that would be a fantastic power because people are amazing to begin with, but a lot of them don't know it because they're you know all wrapped up in their day to day lives. So how am I going to pay this bill? You know, and it it detracts from like who they really are. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be yeah. I think that that's a great answer. Yeah. One of the greatest digital challenges of our time is security. That's a huge, huge thing. I was on Skype the other day and I was just text Skyping with somebody in Sydney, Australia, and all of a sudden I see uh, a laptop, a camera focused on a laptop, and I see a lady in a white house coat going by with a uh, glass of wine. I go, what the hell? Where'd that come from? Oh my gosh, really? <laughs> yeah, like for five seconds. It's kind of like when you're on the phone and, and someone else's phone call kind yeah, of interferes. Yeah, yeah. That's really so I scary. Said, Where the hell did that come from? Well, I keep a sticker on and the my person, camera. Actually, the person I was Skyping with, she saw... A guy somewhere. That is at the same eerie. Time. Yeah, so it just kind of. That's so eerie. No, I keep I keep a sticker on my on my camera oh, all the time. Too. Yeah, just just in case. Generally speaking, I'm just eating chocolate in bed, but I still <laughs> would like to be weary regardless. Yeah, I'm making faces at them all day long. <laughs> exactly. Like Mr. Bean, right? If it wasn't intentional, it wasn't. Yeah, it wouldn't be so bad. Um, think okay. So one of the greatest digital tools or skills that has supported my journey thus far is. Um, I'd say my uh, mechanical design background. I did that for 17 years. Um, when I first started reading or learning about nanotechnology, I started thinking of designs for nanobots. Yeah. So that really helped me with that aspect because I could actually model these things up and look at them. And right, you had a base knowledge at least to get started. Yeah, yeah. so it's kind of like a, I'm not a bona fide engineer, but I did. Uh, you know, I was a senior mechanical designer for a robotics company for you know 17 years. So oh, I really didn't know that about you. That's really really cool. Yeah, that helped me a lot. Okay. That is the last question that I have for you. Well, thank so, you so much for having me. I, I really thank appreciate you. it. Yeah. This has been a great time. It, Lots of fun. It has, but I've learned so much as always. Yeah. Um, so thank you again for sharing your research and perspectives with us. Right um, and if our listeners want to get a hold of you and have any questions for you. Yeah, it would be uh, Frank B. Okay, I'll spell it, spell mm-hmm. it for you. It's frankbeam at nanoapps-athletics.com. So Frank Beam B-O-E-H-M. So that's all one word. At nanoapps. That's N-A-N-O. A-P-P-S dash athletics.com. Perfect. I'll put that up on my Instagram. Yeah. Thanks Amazing. so much. Thank Appreciate you so much. Frank. Right. We'll you see you again soon. Bye. Right. Party on.